Good morning and welcome to the Rabin Report. I'm your host, Elliot Rabin, so get ready to get triggered. Hello and welcome to The Rabin Report. I'm your host, Elliot Rabin, and with me is part of my expert panel, Amara and Samuel. How are you guys? Great. Wonderful. Awesome. Uh, Now, Jordan is away today, and after a lot of effort and uh, discussion, we've decided to stick to just us three. No matter, you can expect a great show. To begin, all opinions expressed are not those of Ryerson or Ryerson faculty and are only those of the individual commentators. Viewer discretion is advised. Uh, I'd just like to start by thanking a few people uh, for the enormous uh, support um, they've given uh, me and us in preparing today's show. Um, Kara Ho, who proposed this topic, uh, Elvira Caria, and my parents. It was difficult, but we managed to find a topic um, after a lot of a lot of work. Um, and I just I'm very thankful for their support and uh, as well as to my team. Um, so thank you. Before we get to the news, we'd just like to remind our viewers that we are now available everywhere. Did you miss the Robin Report's live show? No problem. Now you can catch up on all past episodes on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Of course, you'll only be able to see our crazy reactions right here on Facebook and the clips on Instagram. But if you're driving to school, doing some homework, now you can listen to us anywhere, anytime. Coming up a little later in the show, we'll be talking about our main topic, adoption. But first, let's take a look at our top stories in our weekly update, starting with, uh, as you called it, Amara Plate Gate. So the Ontario government has created new license plates that are causing issues for motorists, for police officers, because they seem to be impossible, if not just difficult, to see the plate itself at night. Uh, What do you guys take on that, Amara? Um, I think it's just another example of Doug Ford's shitty governing. Uh, most I, One of the MPPs actually called the older plates liberal plates, <laughs> and they're not. Uh, the liberals haven't changed the plates in a super long time. The last, Like the last time the plates were changed, that was a conservative thing. It uh, definitely just seems like, you know, he wants to like make his mark. Um, I think they're ugly. And I think it's just, again, like indicative of his entire, uh, I don't know, resume as premier that they are literally like not working and not able to be seen so uh, sam regardless they're just ugly they, they look like uh play-doh um and the letters aren't raised or anything yeah the uh the prior canada has a very boring license plate so if you if you pardon me if you'll travel through the u.s you'll find that a lot of license plates they have you know some kind of uh like the state animal or some kind of... I think Manitoba's might be, have a little yeah. bit of like scenery I'm just thinking, it. I like the Quebec license plate a lot <laughs> because of the, the motto. Um, so what's the motto? Je me souviens. Oh, just, yeah, right. I will remember. You know, very... Very, very Quebec. Very <laughs> Quebec. Um, but yeah, the new license plates stink from an aesthetic perspective. The old ones were plain and boring. Uh, so, yeah, and I think... I think Ford definitely has a thing with, uh, like you said, like a, almost a vanity obsession with making his mark. Uh, I remember the the billboards that he put at the border, and I've seen them at the border between open guess, for business. Yeah, between Quebec and uh, Ontario, and I guess what what's is Manitoba? That's directly west of. <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah, good thing. Uh, I remembered that. But those those borders, I believe they cost hundreds of thousands, or at least a hundred thousand dollars for the design and implementation, and they were like, why? Yeah, I think the plates are ugly. Um, the old plates were plain, but I definitely liked the old motto better than open for business. I think you're still... Like, Ontario, this is off yeah. topic, but Ontario is very large. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, we think of, like, Thunder Bay as northern Ontario, and it's not really north. It's not even you, halfway up. Yeah, when you look at a, an actual map of Canada. Um, and we do have a lot of nature in Canada, and it is beautiful. And I think uh, yours to discover motto just kind of, you know, uh, showed that 
I think, especially living in Toronto and Southern Ontario, we can be very vain and self-centered. But there's a lot of Ontario that you can discover. But now the province isn't encouraging you to. So that's sad. I don't even like yours to discover, sorry, Elliot, because it's like some third-rate tourist motto. That's what they usually are. Though. I know. But like New Hampshire's live free or die. That's awesome. <laughs> It is great. I love it. Also, um, Ontario doesn't really have like a super militant history like Quebec does. Like, what right. would it even be? Ontario is pretty much been they, the they center could, of Canada. They could say like Canada, the Great can. White North, or something like the Free White North. Something I think that would be. <laughs> and obviously, <laughs> it's not. But, yeah. but they, they, there's something like something people yours to discover. No, I think Great Hello. White North. Like people call Canada the Great White North. I we. Because the Arctic is white and snow is white. Yes. Um, but I think, if, especially if Doug Ford tried to make oh, our motto oh, the Great yeah, White yeah, yeah, North, okay, that would not go over well. People are definitely going to look at that as a racial thing. But I mean, what, it doesn't what, have to be. What do you propose, though, as uh, as a license plate? Because I think they should just go back. No, I, I would. It's I like would, just something slogan, slogan wise. Not, I really uh, liked yours to discover. I think Ontario is beautiful, and we should encourage people to discover it, both Ontarians and tourists. I would have to think about that, but it's definitely something better. Um, Open for business is garbage. Yeah, though. that's terrible. I it's would, like, yeah, that's it's I'm, like a job fair, <laughs> or like welcome to Ford Power like, Plant. We are open for business. The like, pro- obviously, the province wants economic opportunities and stuff like that, but it at the end of the day is not a business. Um, it's supposed to be doing the best for Ontarians. So, yeah, it's just again, it's just another symbol of Doug Ford's shitty premiership. What's your take on that, Sam? Do you believe that? This is just another example of why Doug Ford's bad, or this is just a minor setback? Uh, well, I don't like his government because it's not terribly conservative from my definition, but um, I don't, I don't like license plate. All right, I've seen them. They're, not, they're ugly. And they, I think more so yeah. than them being ugly, the fact that you can't see them at night is a pretty big deal. Yeah, Under certain dangerous. conditions. <laughs> you need to be, well, yes, but you should mm. be able to see. And I've read that some cameras can't pick them up. Of course, yeah, that's where liberal the media is from. going to be very excited to shit on anything Doug Ford does. <laughs> yes. But I think that's the biggest I, drive of the story is just shitting yes, on Doug Ford. But I think that if they're bad plates, they're bad plates. And you need to be able to read license plates. It's like the whole point of having a license plate. So um, they're ugly. I don't like the slogan, but more so than anything, if they don't work, they need to be changed. Mm-hmm. Well, let's pivot now to down south where the latest Democratic debate took place. Uh, It had six candidates, uh, them being Michael Bloomberg, Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, Joe Biden, and Pete Buttigieg. Right? Yes. Okay, that's all. I, I was shaking my head sure. because I don't like Pete Buttigieg. Oh, yeah, okay. I just wanted wrong. to make sure I got him all right. Um, but uh, apparently this was a first for Michael Bloomberg because he's us- he wasn't uh, at the previous debates. Um, yeah, I don't think he was. And no, He wasn't even in the uh, Iowa caucus or New Hampshire primary. He wasn't on the ballot. So what did you guys think of the debate? Amara, we're going to start with you. I mean, I know who you're supporting. Yeah, but I'm a Bernie bro, but um, I think Bernie did a really good job. I think Warren did a really good job. I think Bloomberg was, you know, shown to be what he is. I'm glad that that happened. Uh, and I think Pete Buttigieg is gross. And I think that was all shown on the debate, during the debate. Uh, so, uh, you know, what's your take on, on the other people you didn't mention? So you said you don't like Pete Buttigieg. What about Amy Klobuchar, Joe Biden? What's your take on that? I don't think they made a really large impact, um, which is why I didn't mention them. Uh, so, yeah, and, and I, through, I mean, there's only been, you know, two states, but I think um, they're not doing too well. Uh, I think Warren, I think this will probably help Warren. I think she did really well coming out against Bloomberg. She did that pretty um, hard, and I, I thought it was good. He deserved it. And I think Bernie did pretty well. Uh, he's going to face the whole, like, socialism, how are we going to pay for it, all that, you know, all of those criticisms the entire campaign. So I think he did pretty well at answering those questions. Fair enough. And Sam, what's your take? I thought definitely knives were out, and that could be attributed to two things, that it's getting closer to Super Tuesday, which is pretty much the determining uh, stretch of the race. And for our audience that doesn't know what Super Tuesday is, sure. do you mind elaborating? So in the, I believe it's only, is it Democratic and the Republican? I'm not sure. No? Okay. Well, Super Tuesday just means that there's a Tuesday of every <laughs> election, cycle. election cycle where a certain, a large amount of states are all doing their caucuses or primaries at the same time. There's like a wild amount of delegates yeah. up for grabs, like over a thousand. Which it includes Texas, I believe, which has a Does lot. Does it include California? It might. I'm not sure. And I those remember. are obviously two huge yeah, the, states. The so so um, it is a determining uh, a night. And um, you can, they can make or break campaigns. Uh, but I think it was either that 
they were realized they were getting closer to that date and you know it was really uh their opportunity to make or break it or that michael bloomberg was on the stage and they just saw you know not a political individual in the traditional sense uh easy pickings but he is second in the polls so they thought maybe they could take you know some of his uh some of his momentum i guess easy to criticize they could easily criticize him and his i guess previous (laughs) statements to kind of booster their own uh media media spotlight i mean politics is politics so they're politicians and of course you know the 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 conveniently timed leaked speech uh, about the stop and frisk stuff um, is obviously a great opportunity for the other candidates, but I do think that that needs to be addressed. Um, if I were living in the States, I'd be pretty uncomfortable having a president who said the things he said about visible minorities. So I think he does need to answer for the things that he said. And uh, all of the NDAs with women who have accused him of like sexual harassment and gender discrimination. He just needs to answer for those things. I would want to know he, he just needs to, are. like Trump did when he was criticized in almost the same way. Uh, he just has no charisma. He the way he responds to those questions is the way someone in a board meeting would respond to it with no you know outside audience. Uh, like I remember I, we mentioned this briefly during the sh- beginning of the show or before the show started mm-hmm. about uh, Trump when he was criticized about you know the derogatory things he said about women, and um, he said very char- charismatically to uh, Megyn Kelly. Only Rosie O'Donnell. And everyone laughs because, you know... It's also a different audience. Wasn't it, that a Republican debate? Yes. But at that at that time, I think most people didn't really like Trump or were uncertain about him. Uh, but that just shows... like the, It wasn't really... That issue with him and women wasn't really taken seriously. Again, until the Pussygate... Oops. The, uh, you know, the... You know what I'm talking about. The, the, Grab them by the blank. Yes. That uh, emerged later in the campaign. But I think that just shows, you know, both rich non-traditional candidates but uh, the difference in charisma really uh i just very obvious. very stark very obvious there's a word i just really uh hope i don't think bloomberg will get the nomination i don't think people like him um and i'm glad for that i don't think i don't under like is there any other job that not having any experience in that field is like a selling point that's ridiculous <laughs> and um it's you shouldn't run a country like a business so i don't think we should have more businessmen in politics um and yeah I even think said they like also the pretend pre- sorry oh, go ahead. they also pretend to be very uh like you said non-traditional which is what they run on because people don't like politicians but um both bloomberg and trump are again the embodiment of the establishment of the one percent so i hope that that's obvious for people who were maybe considering bloomberg that I, I haven't even like encountered anybody who seriously supports him well there was a, a report that came out that a lot of people uh like in hollywood and the elite actually support him secretly which, which well, your yeah, that on makes that? sense. Of course, yes. Hollywood and elite support him. He's a billionaire, and he's going to do good things for other rich people. So that doesn't surprise me. And he has a lot of money to throw around. I, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if he's. What was that mm-hmm. that joke on Twitter that people were? He was paying like a hundred dollars for influencers to yeah. promote his stuff. Mm. Yeah, this he, is funny. Yeah, this yeah. Is funny. And like he's talked about the fact that he can basically like he doesn't need any donations. Um, I don't think, you know, basically saying you're going to buy the nomination is a selling point. It's not democratic. Yeah, he um, he said that the president's job was a managerial job. And I thought that was kind of kind of funny to describe it like that. But he, he did have some, you know, interesting quips. Like he turned to everyone and said, am I the only one here that started a business? It was dead quiet. And he was like, yeah. OK, good. And then he continued with whatever point he was making. So he, d- he does definitely has like some charisma, but, uh, you know, it's lacking. Mm-hmm. As far as, you know, oligarchs go. <laughs> well, let's cut to international news now, where there was a shooting rampage in Germany uh, by a right-wing extremist. Um, Amara, you brought that up in our uh, in our meeting when we were discussing what to talk about in a weekly update. Uh, what's your take on that? Whoa, Bill. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, it's horrible, obviously. People are dead, innocent people. Um, that sucks. I think, uh, yeah. I, I think uh, we need I think there are a lot of issues going on in the world right now. I think neoliberalism and globalization is, you know, at an all time high. And I think a lot of regular people are hurting for that. And I think that a lot of people are looking for someone to blame. And for a lot of people, that's immigrants. And I think that was what the issue was in Germany. Um, I think he targeted Turkish people and Tur- um, Germany has a big Turkish immigrant population. So um, I think that's uh, the explanation for that. And I just think it's horrible. And racism and hate and murder are bad things. 
And what do you think the response is going to be? Because there, Germany is not, um, f- uh, not for not foreign, but uh, it's not uncalled for for there to be a lot of racism uh, incidents in Germany in recent past. Uh, you know, how recent are you talking? <laughs> within within the last within the last within like, the last year, hundred like, years. Like okay, within the last you know like three years, five years. Like there have mm-hmm. been a lot of incidents that come out. So what do you think the response is going to be this time? Is from it going who? to be different from Germany, from the world? Well, um, Merkel has already responded and she obviously said racism and hatred is a poison. Um, no one, nobody, you know, sane supports murdering people. Even I'm sure people who are against immigration would not support murdering innocent people. So um, I think that it, obviously the elephant, I don't know if it's the elephant in the room. Germany has a history of racism and atrocities and genocide. Um, but if you know anything about Germany nowadays, they're very, you know, um, I don't know what the word is, but they apologize. Very they pay reparations. Yes. Yeah. Um, like students in Germany are brought to concentration camps on school trips. Like they're very educated on the mm-hmm. past. So I don't think in like the greater German society, um, it, it, there's uh, a lot of support for racism and extremism. And I even think like nationalism is on the rise all over the world. It's probably a lot harder to even name a German nationalist party than one in North America. No, I'm not. I don't mean name isn't think of one. I mean, think of a name for your nationalist party, considering the last party that like the last powerful party in Germany that had nationalist in the name was the Nazi party. So, um, yeah, I I think there's a lot less space actually for nationalism and racism in Germany than there may be in a country that doesn't have the history that Germany does. Uh, I I see that generally changing. I know the um, the AFD, the party I mentioned, the alternative for Deutschland, obviously in German, I don't know. The... But yeah, that's what they, like, they, it's a nationalist party, but yeah, they're not going to put nationalist Yeah, in the obviously title. they have to, you know, they have to step on a lot of eggshells. And I think this individual um, was obviously a sick person. I think after he committed the murders, he went home and killed his mother and then shot himself. Yeah. So I don't think this could be attributed to any, you know, mm-hmm. popular right-wing anti-immigrants, immigration sentiment, not immigrant sentiment, um, because... It was obviously a sick person, like who who shoots their own. I don't mother. think that's true. I think that people can be sick and also support yeah, of course, popular right wing anti immigrant parties and platforms sure, and people. I I don't think the existence of those movements or those uh, those sensibilities and politics is what naturally would lead to No. You know, uh, he's yeah. obviously a sick person, but yeah. I think that this is connected to the rise in nationalism we're mm-hmm. seeing. And I think that comes from people having harder lives because um, people are not doing well economically. Yeah, right. Uh, well, turning lastly to back to Canada, uh, very briefly, we're going to mention the fact that the pipeline protests continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about that uh, on another show uh, when Jordan returns. But currently, uh, CN Rail has uh, laid off a bunch of... A thousand. Or a thousand Temporarily workers. Temporarily laid Tempor- off a thousand yeah. workers. Um, I, I, knew, th- I knew... Sorry. <laughs> I knew if I said they laid off a thousand workers, you'd be like, temporarily. It is temporary. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Also, and I made sure to look at that hundreds too. of millions of dollars of goods are just like yeah, it's in like, limbo right apparently now. Apparently it's like $480 million per day yeah. is left, <laughs> which, I mean, it, it's, a lot of it's money. affecting the economy. So uh, we're going to discuss that in depth um, on another show. Uh, but now let's move on to our main topic this week, which is adoption. Children, every child is a new life in the world. Unfortunately, not all children are able to enjoy that life with their biological parents. According to the Adoption Council of Ontario, as of 2011, there were over 30,000 children in care across Canada. In Ontario, there were approximately 17,000 children and youth in foster care. However, over the last decade, the number of public adoptions has increased. Ontario families are stepping up to the plate at an increasing rate. On today's show, we examine this trend and the important facts and issues affecting adoption. Later in the show, we'll discuss what makes parents good parents and how Ancestry.ca and similar platforms have changed the way we reconnect with biological family. As a reminder, we are live on Facebook, so make sure to comment on our feed to have your thoughts read live on air. So we're going to start with what we asked on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Sam, what did we ask our Facebook audience? So we asked, uh, hi, got you. Would you adopt? And 84% said, I would adopt. 
16% no, I would not adopt. And with 37 votes, uh, I don't believe I can see which way that went yet because it's been too soon since the poll took place. No, you should be able to see it. But um, right now, while you uh, get that ready, uh, I'll pull up our Instagram results. And it's quite surprising uh, because we had 22 votes. Only one said no. And 21 said yes, they would adopt. Who was it? Call them up. Uh, I'm not calling them up. <laughs> yeah, um, I, was, I thought it was you. No. No. Um, I know who it is, but and they voted on both polls. But um, regardless, it's still it's still quite interesting to see the dynamic, the difference. There's always a difference between our Instagram and our Facebook polls. Yeah, I, well, I think people who use Facebook are probably going to be more conservative. Like on a whole, obviously in university, you you kind of use Facebook as like you know for accepted groups and stuff. But mm-hmm. I think people who like I guess spend time on Facebook are probably more conservative than the people who like are scrolling through Instagram. Right. Well, let me open that up to you guys. Uh, would you ever adopt? Yeah. I wouldn't say I would never adopt. No. I would adopt, maybe. Uh, if I had issues, I would probably being too specific. If I ever had issues, had my own children, I, I would consider adopting, but I doubt that would happen. It's unlikely, just statistically, it's unlikely. Okay. So if even if you didn't have issues with conception, you... You wouldn't adopt? No. Okay. Amara? I mean, I would adopt, maybe. I'm not, I don't have like my life planned out, so it's possible. I would not say it's impossible that I would adopt. Mm -hmm. Also, if I wanted to have kids and I couldn't, I think it's more likely that I would adopt then. Mm -hmm. I think that's what a lot of people do. So, yeah, maybe. Well, adoption, you know, it used to be a long time ago, it used to be very shameful and secretive. Is this still the case or is it a lot more common? Is it a lot more accepted? Uh, well, you said that the number is increasing of mm-hmm. adoption, so it is more common. And I think it's accepted. Like, I don't know. Like, would you ever meet an adopted kid and be like, ew, you're adopted? <laughs> like, I don't think so. So, no. And I think people view parents who adopt children as generally, like, generous and, and nice people. So, I don't think society has a negative view of adoption. I think maybe, like, for the person who's adopted, maybe, you know, of course, there's always mm-hmm. the question of why are you were put up for adoption in your biological family. But I don't think that overall we view adoption as negative. I mean, a lot of the time uh, uh, in in film or television, there have been, you know, visuals. And, and, I, and in real life, there have been cases where people have been bullied because they were adopted. Um, do you think that has been on the decline as well? Or do you think that's I'm still not prevalent? Sure. I don't think they're like, I didn't go to school with any kids who were adopted as far as I knew. So I'm, I'm not sure. But like, if you're talking about like elementary school, kids will bully kids for anything. Like I remember kids with red hair used to get kicked because of like South Park. <laughs> so it, it, there's like, and you know, people like name their children strategically to minimize bullying at school. So yeah. kids are going to bully kids for absolutely any reason they can think of. So I, I don't think that that's a huge, you know, should be a huge factor in the way we look at adoption. Sam? Yeah, I think kids will, if we're looking at just what kids say, um, they'll bully literally anyone. I remember uh, I was called Baloney Sam when in like grade one. And I was trying to think like, I'm thinking about it now, like Sam Baloney doesn't even rhyme. It's not even clever. Kids will just say Six-year-olds just think baloney is a funny word. Yes, yeah, it, it <laughs> is, is kind of baloney. a funny word. Um, My kids are stupid. So yeah. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they do stupid things. Anything that's, you know, different or like worth that stands out they'll make fun of i mean this is off topic but have you seen that blue eyes brown eyes experiment um, yes with oprah famous no with well the woman who did it she did it like in the 60s i think i think it was around the time mlk was assassinated mm-hmm. and it was a group of like we know what the experiment was like a classroom of white kids I don't. Well, and, for for the uh, oh, for our audience so, and for sam and there is i don't i think they were like around third grade third fourth grade and it was a classroom of all white kids and she was trying to show them what racism was so she told them that kids with blue eyes were better than kids with brown eyes and then we kind of saw how that progressed and the kids with blue eyes started bullying the kids with brown eyes and the kids with brown eyes started performing worse on tests and stuff. So yeah, like you said, anything different, literally like so they you sub- have, they subjected kids to, yeah, it wouldn't happen in 2020. Yeah, this seems, happened in the sixties, but um, they, all I'm trying to point out is kids are mm-hmm. going to like in a classroom of very homogenous, like all white American children, they were still able to like totally like horribly bully each other they, over one lied. of them having blue eyes or brown eyes. Well, they lied to them. Yeah, and they but, look at I mean, they look at teachers or parents as like an authoritative figure. My and point was just that children are willing to make fun of people mm-hmm. for absolutely any okay. difference they that, can find. True. And that same experiment was done on Oprah. That's why I mentioned it. She yeah, had, she's done she, a lot more experiments. Mm-hmm. That was just but she had uh, she had like a racism expert, uh, very uh, famous uh, professor, come on the show, and they basically treated their audience that yeah, way. Yeah, they do and it with they adults separated. now. <laughs> yeah. 
which was also interesting because yeah, they, they interesting. turned upon each other as well. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, I mean, we're all children, right? <laughs> but um, you're asking about kids. So, yeah, people mm-hmm. p- people tend to pick on people who are different than them. Now, I ask, you know, looking at those two uh, examples of the adults on on Oprah and that experiment that happened with students, do you believe that this uh, bullying for differences stems from adults? Do you believe that it's no. because of adults or is it just innate? Well, are we talking, are we, uh, like, is racism innate or taught? Or just, like, just um, a big topic. Well, they can have non-racist bullying. <laughs> That's what I mean. So, like, with the, with the kid who's adopted. Yeah, yeah, I think it yeah. exists, but I don't think it's... The fact that they're adopted would make them more of a target. If it wasn't the fact, like, everyone gets everyone gets bullied, even if you're, like... The popular kid, like people, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, if it wasn't the fact that someone was adopted, they'd make fun of like the shoes he wore one time, or like if you like farting is a really big deal when you're little. So if somebody (laughs) thinks you farted, like you know, or you know, the touch where people would touch each other, and then like if someone touched you, you like yeah, kids bully each other for absolutely everything. So I think obviously, like adults can uh, influence their children certain ways. Like if you've ever worked with kids, there's sometimes kids will say something and you're like, there's absolutely no way you came up with that yourself. If you heard that from your dad, your mom and Mm. adults aren't altruistic, perfect people. So you can pick up racism and sexism and whatever at home. But if we're just talking about like genuine, like teasing and general teasing and bullying, Mm. I I think kids are going to do that no matter what. Now, getting back to the actual topic of adoption, why should people adopt? Because, uh, Statistically speaking, a lot of people are less likely to have kids. Less people want to conceive. Um, we've discussed it on this show in length. Um, have we? I, I think so, <laughs> yeah. So with that being said, do you believe that with procreation decreasing, will adoption increase as a result? No, I think procreation is largely decreasing because people can't afford to have children and they mm-hmm. can't afford childcare. So um, I don't know... Uh, how adoptions work necessarily in Canada. I know they can be really expensive. Mm-hmm. So if you can't afford to have your child like naturally, biologically, and you're you're fertile and you're perfectly able to, and you just choose not to because you can't afford it, you're probably not going to be able to afford adopting a kid. And regardless of if, even if it were free, um, if you can't afford a child, you can't afford a kid. So you're probably not going to adopt one if you can't afford one. Yeah, I think the adoption, I, I always, like, I, like Amara said, I don't know the standards that Canadians have, but uh, I imagine that they would not, allow a child to go into a home that was at risk i'll say financially or otherwise so yeah like people can conceive children even if they're yeah, that's true. at risk so i see that it, it, it probably i don't think there's a correlation i think just people can't afford to have children or the culture doesn't celebrate uh motherhood or fatherhood in the way it used to now to play devil's advocate you you, you both say that it might it might be more expensive to adopt than to conceive. But say you adopt somebody who is 15 or maybe 10, all of the expenses of them growing up are, ta- are well, already dealt with. Not right? all of them. You just still well, have to from, clothe and feed and house them. Right. But a lot of the initial costs, all the you know uh, flu shots and, and stuff like that and, and the initial... Caring for the child as it is a baby and a lot of, you know, taking time off work to care for it, hiring a nanny, you know, stuff like that. Um, would that maybe incentivize people because well, it's a, it's an option? I think, um, I don't know, like I don't have any stats, but who's most likely to adopt? Because um, if you're looking to start a family, you're probably not going to adopt a 15 year old. I, you know, I think we've all heard of like teenagers and older kids who don't get adopted as often. And that's pretty sad. Um, but I think, again, I, I just feel like if you're not able to afford having a child biologically you're probably not going to bring a child into your home regardless Mm -hmm. like i don't think young people who i'm going to assume adopt more often than older people um they're probably not in a financial position to have a child of any age so i think um and then people are obviously more reluctant to adopt older children because they're it's going to be harder to integrate Mm -hmm. them into the family because they've already lived a long life You're, you're right about that about the older children because uh you know according to the ontario association of children's aid society youth aged 16 to 18 are the highest represented age group in care so it's yeah. a lot harder for them uh to be to be taken out of out of there sam did you want to add to that yeah i believe that most of the uh the costs associated with raising a child is in the first couple of years because of daycare or um because they're growing so quickly uh the costs associated with you know new clothes etc uh is very high mm-hmm. like you could buy clothes and then a month later it wouldn't fit so mm-hmm. i think 
generally. But then you could also say like when they're older, they're more into clubs. So I'd be it'd be interested to find out how that actually spreads out over their whole life. Right. So let's move forward to the next portion of our discussion, which is what makes good parents. Um, uh, you know, who qualifies as good parents? Because we've seen. Uh, you know, a good example is Modern Family. Um, it show- <laughs> What do you have against Modern Family? Have you ever watched an episode of Modern Family? I do. I truly enjoy it. Do you enjoy it, Amara? Yeah, it's like fine, Joe. I mean, we know what the- his problem. I don't know why we do this. We always do this. But well, did you did you think Samuel was going to be a fan of the show Modern Family before you asked? I mean, it's just the question because no, I'm I understand what you're viewers. saying, but you seem a little surprised <clears throat> that he like groaned. I just feel like it's well. There's more it's to not it. Surprising. There's a, there's a lot to the show. I think the writing is hilarious, but but let's talk about it. What makes good parents? Um, I don't know. Like, uh, I mean, it's a big question. Uh, in terms of adoption, I'm sure that our adoption agencies have some criteria, but I think um, the most important thing is for kids to be put in safe, nurturing homes. I right. agree with that. Okay, but uh, let's talk about who can adopt, who should be able to adopt. Do you think that anybody should be able to adopt? Absolutely not. Well, what do you, what do we like? Should I be able to just like go adopt a kid? I, I know no. where he's going. I, well, I know where he's going. We know where he's going, but well, I want him to really go there because before we, before I, we I talk think... about the obvious, I, I I think that someone has a criminal record. Yeah, well, uh, I think it depends what the crime is. Okay, but like if you're a domestic abuser, yes, or of course not. You're a predator, of uh, course. Not. Obviously, if you're and on I think, like the I don't sex think, offender. I don't think... <laughs> One at a time, please. No, we're agreeing. If you're on the sex offender registry, I highly doubt any adoption agency is going to be like, yeah, here's a baby. Um, yeah, and I don't think we. If you have a history of violent offenses, like I'm saying, like if you were arrested for like marijuana possession, like a, a personal amount of weed in like 1995, I don't think that should disqualify you from being an adopted parent. But I think if you were, um, or if you're arrested for drunk driving, then yeah, yeah definitely. Not. Um, but I think that if you were, uh, uh, yeah. So, but me, I'm not a criminal. I don't have a criminal record. But I'm also uh, an unmarried, uh, not even graduated, like. 21 year old so i don't think i should necessarily just be able to like walk out with a baby either i think that there should be like a cohesive family structure and financial you know backing right so uh, sam right away you said no why do you think not everybody uh, should be able to adopt or you should who who should not be able to adopt well i that's why i asked who you know who can adopt who should be able to yeah. so it's the same thing it's just so so sure we can frame it that <laughs> way who do you think shouldn't be able to adopt sam other than what we've already mentioned uh People who are at risk of unstable uh, home situations, people, let me think of this, financially unstable, mentally unstable, or I'd even say people who have had divorces in the past. Uh, I don't know if that if that's something they take into account, but um, like, why would you want to put a, let's say, vulnerable child into a situation where they could be the victim? Uh, of a divorce again if i don't know if you're likely to have one divorce are you more likely to have a divorces again in the future or if it's like one and that's it um but i i, I imagine they they kind of take that into calculation yeah i think yeah. it's probably contextual um i obviously disagree with people who've had divorces and be able to adopt kids um but also people there are people who get married at 18 you know and have mm-hmm. a shitty marriage and get divorced at 21 I don't think that, and then, you know, meet somebody at 26 and have a long, happy marriage. So I don't think that they should necessarily be disqualified from adopting a kid. Yeah, it's contextual. If they want to give, if you want to give a child a home, I think, again, like I said, safe and nurturing, but I think we should do that. I I would rather have more kids in adopted homes than in children's aid Mm -hmm. care and group homes. So now I'm going to ask the question that everybody's uh, wondering, should same-sex couples be allowed to adopt? What do you think, Samuel? Uh... Because of things I will happily mention uh, as the show goes on, I probably not. Uh, there's a lot of evidence. I did a couple hours Let's of research. Of co- well, uh, I want to just go, go with Elliot's face. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So in the uh, in the notes, you said that um, same-sex, cu- same-sex couples have the same or a lower divorce rate than... Uh, yeah, I read that they have a mm-hmm. lower divorce rate than uh, straight couples. I looked. I looked that up, and I couldn't really find any information to support that. Did you find any to negate it? I found one that said uh, a study in two thousand four. This is the Washington Post, very reputable. Uh, same sex couples have the same divorce rates as heterosexual couples. Um, it's a smoking gun. Yes, that's two. I, I, I want to be. I don't. I want to be unbiased, and that, that is something I found in two thousand four. Um, 
but the the trend I found was that since um, same-sex marriage has been legal for a less amount of time in North America, and the studies I found, like the, the one I mentioned, the Washington Post was the U.S., uh, there's less data available to kind of discern whether the divorce rates or any kind of statistic associated with same-sex and heterosexual marriages are uh, different. So what I found was uh, information from Europe. And uh, there was a Dutch study. I, I have this all here. A Dutch study found that seven to eight uh, outside affairs for each person every year. That's just a footnote. But it said that mm. it was specifically in Amsterdam. They were, they were tracking rates of um, HIV and AIDS transmission. And they found that if you are a homosexual male in a monogamous relationship that you were on average – like you'd have seven to eight outside affairs per person each year. Uh, mm-hmm. So combined in the whole couple, it'd be 14 to 16 people. Uh, and then also uh, in Europe, homosexual couples have higher divorce rates. Uh, in Norway and Sweden, which was one study I have that they looked at, um, homosexuals are 50% more likely to divorce mm-hmm. and lesbians are two-thirds times more likely. And that was um, something in the National Review, which but, I think is Ben Shapiro's publication. I believe. So, <laughs> or maybe Tucker Carlson's. I can't, I can't so, remember. But let's, wow. let's talk about... Uh, it, wasn't, it was sourced. Sorry. <laughs> let's talk about, though, uh, a monogamous relationship. They've been together for a long time. Um, you know, if a child, for example, is difficult to adopt... Is it better that they be stuck in the system rather than going to a willing and loving same-sex family? Sure. Uh, I think that's more of criticism of the, the condition that our foster care system is in. But the, ki- the condition exists. There are children in those situations. Sure. And so. the first, if I was had some kind of influence in that situation, I, I would have some kind of initiative to improve the conditions in the foster care. Because even even if the option is, that you mentioned, um, it's it's uh, irresponsible, I think. What's irresponsible? That the foster care system, I mean, in popular discussion, I think everyone knows that it's not a nice place, I would say. And from people that I've known that have been in it, right. it's not a terribly nice place. So that would be my, the focus of my attention would be improving the foster care system. But if nobody wants to adopt that child and a same-sex couple, same-sex couple comes forward yeah. and they're, you know, you're against that? Um, yeah, probably. I think that a lot of the concerns about, like, um, I don't know. I think a lot of this is just used to disguise people who just, you know, aren't comfortable with gay couples and aren't comfortable with gay people raising children. Well, um, it's not that because it's based on evidence. I think that uh, uh, like, I was also a, speaking. Okay. Wait, one, um, I think I that. I'm being slandered. I think. Uh, okay. So let's let Samuel and then we'll come back to you. I don't believe I have any irrational hate or whatever uh, for homosexuals. Um Cassidy made an interesting comment. I have something that relates to that. Um, this is the DOJ in the U.S., the Department of Justice. Uh, so, reputable. Mm-hmm. The, uh, homosexuals have a 15.4% or 15.4% of homosexual males, I believe the study said, uh, were physically attacked by their partner versus 10.8% of heterosexual males. And the, the figures for um, ho- lesbians or homosexual women are much more different. Shocking, actually, when I read it. Um, 39% of homosexual women have either been raped, attacked, or stalked by their partner versus 21.7% of heterosexual women that live with a man. So uh, that 39% chance, I remember reading, was women that not necessarily are married to other women, but cohabitate. Okay. Yeah. So there is a difference, and it's you can have an opinion rather rather, rather uh, if they should adopt or not, but I think to ignore these stats that well, are I, from reputable I sources. I got like a sentence out, so I didn't have a chance to ignore anything. Uh, okay, but I think the fact that these stats exist should be factored into the discussion, and to say that any uh, aversion to the idea of homosexuals adopting is just prejudice or ignorance I mean, is. I didn't irrational. say much. So I didn't say that. Okay, but no, no. I think that. Um, yeah. There's a lot of uh, statistics about poverty and things like domestic violence. So I think that we need to, would you, I mean, poor people can't adopt kids. So true. Mm -hmm. But um, there's also higher rates of domestic violence in certain like uh, racial groups and interracial marriages. I think that, um, like you said, at the end of the day, I think that the family itself should be evaluated. I don't think that people like submit applications to adopt a child and then you get one in the mail. 
So um, there's maybe a very small child. You get one. Yeah, I don't think that happens. Um, as far as I know, it's a very extensive and expensive. It can be should have probably done more research on Canada's adoption system. But you hear that it's very expensive to adopt a kid. And most of the time people want to adopt like newborn babies. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of vetting that goes on. So I think that um, I can acknowledge that there are possible like there are higher rates of domestic violence. I'll believe you and the comment um, in same sex relationships. I think as a side note, that kind of makes sense because I think you're more likely to physically fight somebody of the same gender than you, than you are if somebody like Um, that's a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. I think that in a straight marriage, like um, as a woman, at least this is so off topic, but we kind of society really looks down on men hitting women. So you have, you know that, um, and you hear a lot about like men who are battered. So you know that if you were to hit your husband, you should never, adults should never be hitting each other in a conflict. Let's just say that first. But I think you kind of know that it, I feel like it's just kind of like, unfair you know because if your husband's like a decent man he's probably not gonna hit you back and you shouldn't just like wail on somebody for any reason and then i think as a man it's even more like men are tend to be bigger and physically stronger than women so you're Mm -hmm. not gonna like fight your wife but like usually (laughs) out in public you know girls fight each other and boys fight each other so i think that um it makes more sense that same-sex couples would do that more often but i think that um if there is domestic violence there's usually like a police history like just Mm -hmm. neighbors and stuff will call the cops so um, if there's a history of domestic violence in the relationship or the marriage, then they should absolutely not be able to adopt a kid. But I think if we have, like you said, a monogamous, safe, um, you know, no bad history, same sex couple, I don't see why they shouldn't be able to adopt a child. And we do have two comments that came in. Uh, Cassidy said same sex couples have higher rates of domestic violence. It's roughly 3% versus 1% for same sex couples, sources Stats Canada. Domestic violence between partners often bleeds into parenting and often results in the abuse of children. Then we have Elena, who counters and says, foster care is the worst place to be. And if homosexual parents getting divorced is such an issue, does the same go for a single parent looking to adopt on their own? Well, to reply to the first one, Mm -hmm. um, absolutely, like, children should not, even if children aren't, like, I think she kind of meant that parents, you know, if you're aggressive physically with your partner, you're probably more likely to be physically aggressive with your children, um, which is obviously awful. And even if you're not and the children just witness domestic violence, that's horrible and so damaging. Kids who witness domestic violence have, like, PTSD after that. So you should absolutely, like, it's bad enough that there are children born into those situations. We should not put children into those situations. But again, um, like I said, I don't think couples apply for an adoption and a baby comes in the mail. I think that it's very, they're vetted heavily and it should be contextualized. So if it's a same-sex couple that have a history of getting cops called on them for physically fighting, obviously they should not be able to adopt a kid. But if it's a same-sex couple that has a very good history and seems like a, you know, good couple as far as the vetters know, which is the standard they use for all couples who adopt children then they should be able to adopt a kid and obviously i think um if if, like we just mentioned foster care is a pretty horrible place to be and if it's a safe and happy nurturing same-sex family i don't see why they shouldn't Mm -hmm. be able to adopt a child so obviously in your point of view um you don't think that the the sex of the parents should be taken into account, obviously. You no. just think that it's about the loving home yes. and if it's a safe so place. So maybe because uh, domestic violence rates are higher for same-sex couples, maybe then a lesser, like a smaller proportion of same-sex couples who apply will be able to adopt a child just because that might come out. You know, more of the couples who apply that are same-sex might have domestic violence histories. But again, like I've said, if they don't have... Nobody... I don't think anybody's advocating for placing a child in a home where the parents are usually physically fighting each other. So if it's a safe or nurturing home, I think if they're a gay couple, more power to them. And I'd rather that kid be with them than in the foster care system. Now, let's talk about the actual kids that are being adopted and who's adopting them, not based on sex, but based on race. Um, You know, the argument has been made that uh, white couples adopting non-white children or vice versa, somebody of a different race adopting somebody uh, of not the same race could potentially whitewash their culture. What is your response to that? So I'm, culture and race are obviously connected, mm-hmm. but I don't think that they're inherent. You know, like if you're right. a black baby, I mean, so, we're t- a lot of babies are adopted from overseas so for let's talk yeah. about african babies exactly. for example yeah. so if you adopt an if a white couple adopts which happens with a lot with celebrities mm-hmm. if a white mm-hmm. couple adopts an african baby they're going to raise a black kid right but and then people might say that you know a criticism might be that they're not connected to their black culture but they were born in africa so where they were born if they stayed there they wouldn't be connected to black american culture at all so what i'm trying to say is um 
culture is not necessarily inherent. And I think that um, if you're adopting a child of a different race than you, you should maybe try to just, I guess, understand it. And Mm -hmm. um, it might be hard for a kid to grow up in a community that's very homogenous and they're not of that race. But um, I think it's better to be an African or Chinese baby with a white family than be in an orphanage in a third world country. So. So, uh, Sam, what would you say to that? Would you ever adopt, um, and that goes to you as well, would you ever adopt uh, a baby that is of a different culture than you? Do yeah, you feel I you would. would? I think, yeah, I would. Um, yeah, I would. Sam, uh, <laughs> not personally, just because I wouldn't. Well, I want to mention briefly what you said about the, I think the celebrities adopting. Um, Black African or, babies. Or Asian babies. Mm-hmm. I think there's very much like a status thing that they do to a signal that I don't they're think very. So. You don't think so? I think that's kind of, kind of, you know, like non white people aren't accessories. I know, but don't don't you think that sometimes they I treat them like that? I think that. Um, you think they do it for attention? And it's to do it to it's like physically it's clear quo? that you adopted a child yeah. if you're a white person who has a white partner and you have a black baby or an Asian baby. So maybe, maybe that way they're trying to show how altruistic they are. But I still think like even if. That's the case. The kid's probably better off with them. Sam, uh, back to you. It, it, like, I just don't like you said the differences between culture uh, and transplanting someone from one area where they might be more familiar easily to. Uh, well, they'd be physically familiar. Sure, but they'd be more comfortable with blending with in, themselves adapting and, to that. that and I don't think that an, a baby adopted from Nigeria and like, like that was adopted as a newborn baby and grew up in like California would feel more comfortable in Nigeria than California. But I'm, California. but I, but what I'm talking or about, or any country that's not Nigeria, what I'm talking about though, is if say Nigerian, uh, a Nigerian couple in California adopts the baby versus a Russian couple in, in California adopts the baby. I think of like, I don't, I don't think that you're, genetically predisposed to uh i don't know like exhibit certain cultural things i think things like culture and race are connected but they're not the same thing so um i think physically it'll probably be easier for the nigerian couple to you know raise the nigerian baby and there are cosmetic things like black people have different hair types than um, non-black people so that might be difficult for a white family to figure out but um like i said i think that if you were adopted from like an african country or china as a baby and you grew up somewhere else in North America, you're as an as a grown up person, or probably as soon as you're like conscious of yourself in the world, you're not gonna feel more comfortable in that home country than with your parents because your parents and that culture is what you grew up in and what you know. I think would, would sorry, would you be against international adoption then? No, absolutely not. I think that um I mean, we know that there are like crises in other countries with orphans. So if people can help them, I think they should be helped. And I think that if there even is a conversation to be had about the culture, then that should be had when there are a lot less babies that need homes. So. Yeah, I would if you if you're really concerned about you know a large influx suddenly of orphans from a like I'm thinking about the Rwandan genocide or other whatever conflict is in the recent history in Africa mm-hmm. or even not not necessarily Africa but you know right um, wouldn't the best thing to do is to donate money to I don't know, whatever the equivalent of a foster care system is in those countries. The problem, no. okay, the problem I would have is I, I feel like in a way I would be hampering the child's development if I transplanted them from one society and culture that naturally they'd be more acclimatized to and putting them in a society or a culture, whatever you want to describe it as, where they, they feel more foreign. Maybe they have more internal conflicts about identity. I think identity, uh, if you don't have a healthy identity, you're more likely to... Uh, adopt unhealthy markers of your own personality whether that can be you know habits hobbies whatever religion whatever uh but i i think that identity is very important and to it would have to uh this is very complicated to discuss uh very complicated i i think it's it would be over you'd be hmm. you'd be hurting them i think it would be overlooked if you didn't take into account the fact that a child would be more comfortable and, uh, I guess, feel like they belong in a society and a culture that they physically, you know, on a very primal level belong so, to. So that means you're against international adoption? I'm not against it. Well, I think that, like, and, you and said... to your point, I you, make said, it illegal. you said that, that uh, going back, you, sorry? You wouldn't... I wouldn't make it illegal. Okay. Um, but to your point, you said that you're that you don't think giving money to the country no, is better. So why don't um, you expand on that? Because I think that if we've established that Canada's foster care system or America's foster care system is horrible, I mean, 
imagine what a third world country in Africa's foster care system is like. It's right. probably 50 times worse. And I don't I don't think that. And there's a lot of politics around foreign aid and stuff like that. Throwing money at problems doesn't tend to fix it. Mm-hmm. You usually have to really foster development in those countries. And that takes a lot more time and energy and I don't think I don't know if it takes more money, but it takes more than just money. Mm-hmm. So um, I think again, like if you're a billionaire, I obviously wouldn't shit on you for donating a lot of money to a mm-hmm. foster care system in a third world country. But I think if you're looking to make a difference in one child's life, I think um, a child who was born in who comes out of the Rwandan genocide. Um, this is off topic, but rape was a really big thing in the Rwandan mm-hmm. genocide. So there are a lot of rape babies born out of that so if they were put up for adoption they're better off growing up in the states in a developed country with parents who can financially support them and like a government that functions then in uh wherever they ended up after the genocide so yeah now uh, in regards to making a change in one child's life what's your position on um you know Mike Holmes he always does advertisements for that organization you basically sponsor a child in Africa he he is Is the guy guy? from Homes on yeah but he does he works with uh, an organization yeah and you uh, sponsor a child you you know you pay pennies a day and you help one child uh, would you support that you don't uh, like those in general I don't know there's a lot of scandals I don't know a lot about specific organizations but I know a lot of the time um, those the donations don't necessarily most of them don't go to the children they end up in the organization um, some warlord and a lot of them are always also um religiously based which i don't think there's an inherent problem with that but i think mm-hmm. if you're going into a, another country and trying to like uh not force but push maybe your religion on them i think that there's a problem with that um and i also think there's a lot of like there's a sort of like suffering or charity porn aspect to it where there's commercials of like <laughs> an african kid that's clearly malnourished with a bloated stomach like with flies yeah. on their face staring <laughs> at the camera like i think that's dehumanizing and it's gross and i think that this like poverty tourism is disgusting and i think that those are kind of ways that people in north america can be like yeah i'm, I'm doing my part i'm helping out some poor african kid and every that's 60 gross. seconds in africa a minute passes like i think it's just uh yeah so i i i people i think anybody who's trying to do good is good but i would definitely push back on those sorts of organizations and the tactics they use to mm-hmm. try to fundraise so let's then move to our last portion of the discussion, which is reconnecting with biological parents, family. Ancestry.ca and similar sites have allowed uh, people to reconnect with loved ones. Has this helped society or has it allowed for private companies to collect people's <laughs> DNA for their own use? I think two separate things. I think it can both help society if people are finding biological families. And I've heard a lot of stories of people finding out like their dad's not their dad and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and also, we should consider the fact that private companies have access to our DNA. So mm-hmm. I think those are two separate things. I think we should so consider both of them. If you had to weigh which one would be more important? For me, yeah. I would do the ancestry DNA test. So I guess I don't care too much about my DNA mm-hmm. being in the hands of a private company. And Sam? You should care about your DNA in the private company. I think the the conspiracy is like, oh, the government's going to take your DNA and then what, like clone you? No, like frame you for a crime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just no, but I would, just recently, the yeah. Toronto police have been uh, caught using some yeah. special facial, facial recognition rec- technology. A lot of police departments, like I think, like Peel and Hamilton, a lot of the other ones have also admitted to it. Mm-hmm. But I think the government already has all of the information they want. The the risk I see sometimes discussed, but not as often as it should be, is if your genetic code is personal data in the same way any kind of personal data that Google or Facebook collects, in the sense that it's uh, it has a value. And they could, they if uh, an insurance company or someone else, I, I can't think of one on the top of my head, uh, would purchase that data at a price. And that's why these home test kits tend to be very cheap. An insurance company that, say, wants to open up in a certain area in Canada or U.S. would purchase from that company all the genetic information, I don't know at what price, uh, of the clients or the potential clients in the area. Then they can know how to appropriately price, price someone, say, if there's a a genetic group in, I don't know, northwestern Sweden that is more likely to have Alzheimer's. They would price them at a higher rate. And that they wouldn't know that information regardless if, if they wouldn't Unless know that they information if they DNA. exactly yeah. so I think that's the more risk yeah it's pretty risky, risky. pretty yeah <laughs> I think I don't know pretty apathetic about it but yeah I think that's definitely something that you should consider and I think private companies having our DNA is a scary thing to think about but um, I also see the value of the the tests but mm-hmm. also they're not super accurate either so and uh why do you say that well they um like if you look at how they they match dna 
they just kind of use like samples that they have and obviously it's pretty correct and most of the time it's right but like there are certain companies for example i think 23andme didn't have a good west african sample size so if a black person uh, so north american black people tend to be west african like genetically because slaves were taken from west africa mm-hmm. um if a, if a north american black person would take the test it would kind of just say like you're west african which you kind of already know so they're not super accurate it, it depends on the sample size that the company has but um yeah I don't know. I think that they're interesting, and I think um, I think it's interesting, just off topic, to see what genetic makeups can look like in a person. Because sometimes there's people who you're like, that person's like 100% black, and they're not, or that person's 100% white, and they're not. People tend not to be 100% anything, especially in like the new world when mm-hmm. you watch people's like videos. So I think that's interesting. I think the the pop the popularity of it in uh, in North America, especially, and this was related to a comment on uh, in the thread that I thought of, um, is that people have a very very primal, very instinctual drive to know where they've come from, their story, their blood. And uh, in the absence of um, a society that celebrates and, you know, fortifies that kind of identity, people will pay a hundred bucks to some shady company to get even a semblance of it. So it's kind of sad in a way, like a hundred years ago, even 200 years ago, whatever, people would know, like, this is where my ancestors come from. This is my story. This is what my people have accomplished. And now it's like, oh, I I don't know. I'm just in Toronto. Well, I think um, I would push back on that. I don't think that everyone who takes the test is just having some sort of like existential crisis. I think sometimes people are just curious. And a lot of times there's like family, you know, stories passed down. Like, I mean, around, around, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Elizabeth Warren, you Mm -hmm. remember her whole Native American thing? Because that's what her family told her. So something like that. (laughs) Um, But also a lot of, like I just mentioned, a lot of um, black North Americans actually don't know where their ancestors came from because of slavery. It kind of starts and stops there like my family immigrated from jamaica black people aren't indigenous to jamaica i have absolutely no idea where my lineage goes before jamaica so i think that's also another reason people would take the test just because there are people and we're talking about adoption there are people that don't have an idea of what their family background Mm -hmm. is and they take the tests for those reasons and what do you say to people who don't want to find out who they're related to so for example let's say a kid doesn't want to know who you know they're related to and then their you know birth mother finds them I think they don't want to know. I think more often it's... The other um, way around. Yeah, like the child will do a DNA test. There's also closed and open adoptions. So open adoptions are where you know you're adopted and you can have interaction with your adopted or your biological parents. And then there are closed adoptions where it's like, I don't know, like on TV shows, you find out when you're like 18 (laughs) that you're adopted or you take a blood test and you're like, we don't have the same blood type and your parents tell you you're adopted. That, obviously, if you're the same race, it doesn't work if you're not the same race as your adopted parents. But... I mean, that's a personal thing. I don't think anyone has to connect with their biological family. And a lot of times people um, feel weird about it because your parents don't necessarily have to be the people that like biologically contributed to you existing. They mm-hmm. could be the, like, I think we all know moms are more than people that just carried us. They're yeah. nurtured us for our whole lives yeah. and do until they die. So mm-hmm. um, I understand why somebody might feel weird about finding their biological mom, especially if they have a really healthy uh, adopted family. And to end off our show today do you believe that adoption will ever become the sole form of raising children or will it at least grow i i don't think so because i i could see how um people would make the argument that culturally we're less likely to want to have children to want to have biological children but um i think with the economy right now i can't see somebody deciding to like more people deciding to adopt a kid it just seems to be getting worse i can't see our generation and the generation coming after us being able to afford to adopt a baby samuel uh, yeah, I, the affordability thing is uh, interesting and I think true, but there's also, you know, the, the cultural the lack of religion. Like people, people in the past, I know specifically New France, the so Quebec, they'd have like six upwards and like your fan of Celine Dion, children, a child of how many kids? 14. 14. And, 14th and, child. and that was uh, actually fairly common. Her, her mom's being late to rest this week, actually. No. So. Yeah, anyway, continue. Um, you got to Ellie. But, 10 seconds. Uh, I, that, I appreciate it. That doesn't exist. Uh, like I don't think people would adopt 14 kids. You know, it's a different drive maternally or We look paternally. at Brangelina. Well, former Brad it's and Angelina. Rich, rich people can afford to adopt a bunch of yeah. I think that's the money, it's the money factor, mm-hmm. 100%. People right. can't afford to have and 12 you can, kids you anymore. Can, you can afford to have children, even in Canada and the U.S., if you just lower your standards. Mm-hmm. I can live in Toronto if you do. Well, that's where we end the show today. Um, thank you to everyone that tuned in and the messaged us live. Uh, thank you to you guys. We had a lively discussion. Uh, Jordan will be back next week. And I miss we. Him. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> wow. Okay. 
Well, a brand new episode of The Rabbit Report will be coming to you next week, same day, same time, same people. Have a great day, everyone.